the football pod. Booing and the jeering and the anticipation. And then as he strikes it, there's that intake of breath because he puts the bloody ball 14 uh, yards the, the second he hits it, I knew we were under pressure. Like. Subscribe to the football pod on the OTB Sports app now. You're very welcome, Max. So later on in the hour, we'll be talking to Sarah Donovan about the Camogie final. We have Kilkenny against Cork to look forward to. We'll keep you updated on the uh, live football. 49 minutes in the clock, second half just underway. England are 1-0 up against Sweden at Bramall Lane in the Euro semi-final. Meanwhile, at Tallis Stadium, Shamrock Rovers at halftime, second half just about to get underway, are 1-0 up against Ludogorets. So that means 3-1 down on aggregate. Uh, Stephen Doyle was telling us there just before 9 o'clock news. Richard Towles had maybe two chances. There's been... Uh, another chance for uh, Finn Aaron Green has scored the goal so really uh, Shamrock Rovers have been by far the better team and it could be a lot more worrying for Ludogorets than 1-0 on the night so 3-1 on aggregate big second half to come any goals will be over to Stephen Doyle at uh, Tallis Stadium that's where we are in the live football this evening we are going to turn from live football though to athletics because the World Championships have wrapped up in Eugene, Oregon on uh, Sunday and there are a number of interesting talking points. Very happy to say Carl Dennehy is an athletics uh, journalist still in Eugene, Oregon as I understand it, Carl. That's exactly it. I'm afraid to leave. I'm <laughs> too used to the cycle now, Joe. So uh, this is a, a novel enough venue for uh, championships of this uh, caliber. It is like, in some respects, I don't know if it's traditionally a home of US track and field, but certainly, I would uh, you would think of Steve Prefontaine, and everybody's seen the movies Prefontaine if they haven't necessarily uh, watched all his career that uh, closely. He was University of Oregon, and then as much as anything, I just think of it as Phil Knight and Planet Nike in some respects. It very much is. I mean, Phil Knight's money and Nike's money kind of infuses the whole way through this city. Um, it's a place of only about 170,000 population. And I think there's about 25, 30,000 students who kind of clear out in the summer and it becomes a relative ghost town. Um, but yeah, I mean, Phil Knight is the donor whose money like he loves. He's the founder of Nike. He was a runner himself. He was a University of Oregon student. And his he spent the estimate, they don't know the official amount, but he spent about $280 million they think um, the chief donor behind the new Hayward Field Stadium um, giving it the facelift of all facelifts I suppose for this championships um, and yeah it's it's just a strange place Eugene it made perfect sense to come here to at least try coming here because it's the first ever world championships in America um, and it's called Tracktown USA it's where the heart of athletics beats strongest across the US but then again this is a decision that goes back to Lamine Diak's reign um, at the IWF back in 2015. Um, the decision was made and there was no bid process, which some others like Gothenburg weren't too happy about that it came here. And I think over the years, it, I think it, it was worth a try, but as the logistical issues became more prevalent about coming here in terms of there's not nearly enough hotels, um, there's not nearly enough accommodation for places, there's no international airport within a two hour drive. You know, Portland is two and a half hours away or so. So it was the first time an event of this size had been staged in a city so small and I think for all that it was great on the track um, I think maybe the tickets were overpriced so the stands weren't filled and I think a lot of parents and athletics fans I know from Ireland initially thought this sounds like a great idea but when they actually looked into coming here and realised they were going to have to blow about five grand to watch some athletics for the week or watch their sons and daughters compete they realised it was not so realistic so I think it was definitely worth a try and it was a really good championships but I'd be shocked if if we ever came back to Eugene for a senior world championships. Hmm. That is interesting, I have to say. 
I mean, it's not the first major sporting event of the last couple of years which has been hosted in a place not equipped to host it, and you suspect money talks. I mean, when we say worth a try, were we expecting some kind of magical carpet to take people from the airport to Eugene, or you know, what 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 what, what was the surprise we weren't sure about? Yeah, I think it was kind of decided without fully maybe being thought through. It was okay. just like, yes, US World Championships, let's do it. Um, but then I think, you know, I think just yeah, realistically, you've, I think, 1,800 athletes or so from 180, 190 countries. And even that alone, you know, was a, a feat in itself to get them host, housed, I suppose. And then the, the tickets were kind of priced to the point where, you know, it was expensive for everyone. If you came in, it's a 10-day championship. So if, if you're talking about coming to bringing the family to a number of that, there's just, there was nowhere to stay for less than $200 a night. And then the tickets on top of that, it was just during a cost of living crisis. It was no surprise that the stands weren't 100% full really all week, as good as the attendances often were. Uh, Carl, there's loads to talk about out of these championships. Certainly, uh, records falling is a trend of the last couple of years in particular. And I was reading a piece in the New York Times, and to be fair, it was making the point that uh, this trend is across the board, both at the very elite level right down to high school, and it cites training, it cites better technique, it cites certainly um, better shoes and better equipment and you know before anyone says we're naive to drugs, I guess the point you'd say back is drugs have been around the whole time, it's not like uh, they're a new uh, phenomenon, so there has to be more to it than just uh, you know uh, suspicious um, uh, drug practices when it comes to these uh, records falling I was reading uh, more records went last year than in any year since 2008 and this year is on course to be uh, better again and the chart I was looking at and, and this is probably simplified and it's where you can you can tease things out a bit for us but certainly in the 1980s uh, there was a huge spike and, and one suspects that probably was drug fueled in many ways and the 1990s had its fair share of uh, records broken the 2010s, by comparison, uh, were very low if you're looking at the last 40 years. And uh, for whatever reason, the 2020s was low. But now we're starting to, to creep up again in this decade. So kind of an interesting time in athletics. Yeah, it's very interesting. And I, I think it would be naive. And I think everyone in the sport knows that when you look at that spike in athletics, especially on the women's side, that it was primarily drug fueled across the board in the 80s because it was as they say the steroid era where there was no no meaningful drug testing existing in the sport and that's why also clearly steroids have a more significant effect on females than they do on males in terms of performance benefit and that's why a lot of the women's records during that time were put into a, a place that was untouchable obviously I don't think all of them were so you can't kind of go across the board with that but it, it was certainly a factor in what happened to the sport through the 70s and 80s and I think a lot of the generations that followed were trying to live up to those marks um, unrealistically so and then better drug testing came in in the 90s but I think drug testing has never been better in athletics than it's been in the last few years um, so you certainly obviously you can never know for sure but you can certainly have a higher level of confidence given the way the athletics integrity unit have gone after cheats in the sport and the way they've tightened things up like with things like the biopassport obviously it's happened in cycling as well um, but you are now seeing athletes edge towards the times that were being run in the 80s and 90s and I think a big reason for that, given drug testing policies have never been more stringent, it's never been harder to get away with 
cheating. Um, I think the big reason to look to is tech. Obviously, there are a number of factors here. There's like training methodologies have advanced, you know, things like nutrition, recovery. People are doing all these things a lot better, but they're quite small percentage gains, I would say, tiny percentage gains overall, even though they are having an effect. But I think in the last five years on the road since 2016, since Nike came out with their first super shoes and then everyone else copied them, um, the same technology has made its way onto the track. It only showed up on the track in 2019 at the World Championships. That's when Nike had the same technology it has in its running shoes into its spikes, i.e. super responsive foams, carbon plates embedded in the foams and all positioned at an angle that, I guess, increases running economy, increases speed. And all the other brands now have caught up to that. And it, it took them maybe a year or two to catch up to that. But I think what we saw, all of those spikes, those super spikes were all ready for 2020. Obviously, the Olympics were the late year. And I think that's why we saw the spike in world records last year, 2021, is that the technology across the board is so much better now in spikes. We can't yet quantify exactly how much it is, but from having visited the Adidas hub here in Eugene last week and having been taken through the technology by one of their shoe engineers, it, it's pretty clear it's quite substantial. I asked him, you know, what's the data on the difference it's making to things like stride length, ground contact time, overall speed. And he said, I, I can't tell you the numbers, but he said, it, he just smiled at me and said, it's making a difference. Right. And then I was talking to Lance Brownman, who coached the 200 meter men's champion, Noah Lyles and the 400 meter women's champion, Shawnee Miller-Weibo. He's one of the leading sprint coaches in the world. And I just asked him like, what's your impression on the difference it's making? And he said about between seven and 10, one hundredths of a second over a hundred meters. So I suppose when you, when you factor in that, he said he's no data to back that up but that's just his impression on what he's seen in training and things like going through the speed gates and things that they would measure with the spikes of today versus the spikes of say three to four years ago and call as an aside Flojo's records still very much stand in the 100 metres and 200 metres and in the 400 metres you have Marita Koch of East Germany where I think it's fair to say there's fairly concrete suspicion over what was going on in that era is there a school of thought in athletics that that era those world records should be expunged uh, for the, the good of the sport or is that a, an ongoing discussion at all? I mean, it was a few years ago. I mean, Pierce O'Callaghan was one of the people leading that when he was at European Athletics, who's now at World Athletics. But I think it was, uh, I would say, an unrealistic expectation to try and expunge the record books because if you look down the record books on either side, it's very hard to draw the line. You know, obviously, people talk about the 80s as a really black era when it comes to doping in athletics and obviously other sports as well, when it was just, you know, it was the Wild West. There was no way, no testing proper testing so you'd no way of catching people but at the same time you know there was no test for EPO until the year 2000 mm. so a lot of people know what happened in cycling and athletics and indeed soccer and other sports throughout the 90s it was just open use of EPO and no possible way of getting caught um, so I think and even that continues today with designer steroids and things like that to an extent so and there are records that have been set in the last 10 to 20 years that people inherently and people who have a good gut instinct for these kind of things know are almost certainly doping fueled, but mm. so I think you can't really draw the line with a cutoff in a, a point in time and say right before this date the the sport was magically or was dirty, and after this date the records were magically clean. So I think it is an unrealistic thing, and it's really unfortunate I think for a lot of modern day athletes that you know you're having perhaps degraded the most talented athletes of all time, and they're going up against marks that are completely unrealistic. And I'm, I'm thinking there of Valerie Adams of New Zealand, who is 
pro- probably the greatest female shot putter of all time. Yeah. And she's just so outspoken about anti-doping throughout her career and a really credible, believable athlete. But yet, when you look at the all-time list, she's just, you wouldn't think she's the greatest shot putter of all time because of what she's gone up against. With the time difference over here, I, you won't be shocked to hear that it hasn't really grabbed the imagination all that much and, and, and such is life. And it was interesting on Sunday, I was just uh, out getting the papers and the Sunday Times uh, main section, their main picture was Sydney McLaughlin. And that's always a sign that someone is piercing through and becoming the poster girl or poster boy of the championship. So we really should talk about Sydney McLaughlin. She's still just 22 years of age. She's an Olympic gold medalist. Uh, she uh, won the 400 metres uh, hurdles. And at this championship, she destroyed her own 400 metre hurdles record. Uh, she's of the US. And this is, I think, the fourth time in just over a year she's taken time off the 400 metres hurdles uh, record. We're talking about somebody potentially historically great here, am I right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think if if Sydney McLaughlin was perhaps in the 100 metres, you know, she would be a Usain Bolt-esque kind of name at the moment in global sport. She's kind of starting to break through to that those ranks. Um, and I think something that probably also realistically holds her back is her kind of personality. She's she's quite shy, you know. She's spoken about kind of mental health problems at the time at, in the past and how she feels the pressure and perhaps anxiety coming up to races and things like that. And so she's very guarded when you in interviews. She doesn't give much away at all. And people kind of look at her from the outside and say, like, does she even enjoy the sport? Because she really, what you see in her at the finish line is relief more mm. than happiness, more than joyous celebration. And I think because of that, people have kind of been slower to warm to her or slower to probably appreciate how great her achievements have been versus, say, some of the more exuberant athletes like Shelly Ann Fraser-Price or Karsten Warholm in the sport. But what she's achieving athletically is just completely unprecedented. I mean, she is, people going about Usain Bolt being a great junior athlete, like Sydney McLaughlin is the ultimate outlier among outliers. You know, from the age of 14 to 19, she set the best times ever run for the 400 meter hurdles all the way up. Um, she's won, she set the world under 18 record, the world under 20 record. And now she's, she hasn't just broken the world's senior record. She's moved it into territory that I really do struggle with a 50.68 second world record. I mean, it's just, it's obscene how fast that time is. I mean, it's faster. It would have finished seventh in the world 400 meter final for flat. And to think that she did it with 10 hurdles in the way is just beyond the realm of imaginary, I suppose. It was just out of this world performance and I can't really see anyone coming close to it in the years ahead. Um, yeah. I've no doubt that tech probably was a factor, you know, in terms of the fast tracks, the, the fast spikes, but at the same time, everyone else in that final had pretty much the same technology, I'm sure, that Sydney McLaughlin was wearing and yet she is just streets ahead of the rest so yeah I think and like you said only 22 years of age yeah. the last the last world champion Dalil Mohammed's over 30 now you know so there's no reason that if Sydney McLaughlin wants to and if she does stay healthy for the next 10 years there's no reason she can't win every global title and perhaps push that push that record out even further Amazing so you said over hurdles she would have been seventh in the regular flat 400 metres okay as kind of Hard, <laughs> hard to imagine in some respects. I was reading um, a piece by Jonathan Liu in The Guardian, and again, that the fact that someone like Jonathan Liu is, is profiling her speaks to this um, maybe moment that she's having and the world is starting to, to recognise what we have in our hands here. And he was charting her background. Her parents were star athletes, he said. Uh, so were her brother and her sister. She was sent to Union Catholic where the school fees are $18,000 a year and the expectations are stratospheric. She broke school records and state records 
won a place at the prestigious US trials, etc. So the, the pedigree there is extraordinary. But what, what I wanted to ask you about, Carl, was something you alluded to, and I, I suppose it's her, um, her general mental health. So Jonathan Liu writes here, it's 2021. Sydney is 21 years old. Three days ago, she broke the world record at the Olympic trials. Now she's sitting in her car outside the shops trying to fight back tears. And he quotes her saying, I don't know what's happening, she says into her camera phone. I achieved one of my life's dreams and the people who I thought would be most excited didn't even care. The rolling tears collect into sobs. You can do everything right and it will never be enough. There's always a problem with you. And Jonathan Liu writes, she pushes her hair out of her face. She says, it's a sick world. She spits into the lens, partly in disdain, partly in despair. Uh, There's quite a lot going on here. Do we know what all this relates to? We don't, to be honest, and I think the reason for that is that Sydney is, is very, very guarded in interviews, and I think that's whether it was through her college years or when she turned professional and signed the biggest deal in the sport, unofficially anyway, or anecdotally, uh, when she went professional with New Balance a few years ago. She's very much always extremely guarded. She builds a wall around herself, um, perhaps to you know protect her own mental health or for whatever reason it is, but she gives very, very little away in interviews, and you don't tend to find out very much, which is why when she went on Instagram, Instagram last August and put up that I think it was an eight minute video or something and she was crying in it. It was probably the first window a lot of people in the world got into what perhaps is going on in her mind. Um, yeah, she just doesn't tend to give much away, whether it's parental, whether it's coach led or whether it's someone else manager led. We, we actually just don't know. I mean, mm. at the press conference after her race, um, you know, obviously I'd heard stuff about, you know, Sydney over the years. And I, I, I first saw her at the World Under 18 Champs in Colombia and sev- seven years ago. I think she was 15 years old then and she absolutely just destroyed the best teenagers in the world to win the title down there. And I remember her as a high schooler, you know, on things like her Instagram, she would have lots of kind of goofy videos up juggling and doing stunts with basketball. And then over the years, she just kind of diluted all that. And now it's just like branded posts. And she kind of it kind of feels like she's just a cog in a corporate machine, I suppose. And perhaps she feels that pressure as well. Mm. And at the press conference, I asked her, you know, obviously Tokyo was pressure as the favorite for the Olympic title, but this was probably a new level of pressure, you know, 15,000 fans, first ever US championships, pretty much everyone expecting her to win. And I just asked her, was that hard on you the last few days? And how hard was that? And really she just didn't really answer, you know, she, but I can only assume. And she just said, look, it's always pressure, but pressure is a privilege, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. But you just know that if she was being honest in that situation, she might've gone on about the sleepless nights and the pressure she felt. And I think really sometimes images can show it stronger than words. And I think the image of her coming across the line as exhausted as she was probably showed more of what was going on in terms of, we saw so many athletes erupt into celebration after they come across the line, but Sydney just kind of sat down on the track. It was, it was just a smile and you could tell that it was probably much like Kathy Freeman at the Sydney Olympics after she won the 400 meters. It, it was a strange reaction. It wasn't happiness. It was just pure relief. Mm. And I think that speaks probably to the pressure that Sydney McLaughlin is under. Yeah, it does seem that way because even I just watched uh, a New Balance video which features her training and doing various interviews and it's her and her mother. and It's all very sanitized and corporate and, and not much is given away. But that said, the theme of it is not one of joy. It's not one of, I'm a superstar, the world's my oyster, I'm going to kick on. It's one of, people don't realise how tough this is and people don't realise the sacrifices. And she's interviewed with her best friend and the friend is saying, I've seen you at your lowest moments and your highest. But there's that, that, that was the theme. It wasn't a straightforward one. Whereas, you know, you think Usain Bolt in that period of his career, you know, he just gives us the lightning 
and he just smiles and it's everything's gravy. So this is a very three-dimensional person with um, a lot going on. You almost sound like you wouldn't be shocked if she walks away from the sport in her 20s. I mean, uh, yeah, it, it wouldn't stun me, to be honest, you know, in terms of she's always kind of had an interest in things beyond athletics. And I was just sitting having a beer with one of the other journalists, an American journalist who's been covering her since her high school days, you know, and she was obviously the biggest name coming up through the US high school scene for the last seven or eight years. And he said, if if there's one question you'd want a truthful answer to from Sidney McLaughlin on it's are you enjoying it you know do, do you genuinely enjoy this sport because I would imagine there's a big part of her does enjoy it but I think from the outside just because she kind of does build those walls around her it's very hard to see I guess the real reveling in the enjoyment and like you said the Usain Bolts or the Shelley Ann Fraser Prices or the Carson Warhams they kind of allow us to see the joy in it in the process and in the destination I suppose they get to in the end but with Sydney there's just always this kind of wall built where she doesn't really allow people to see too much either the good or the bad yeah. and I suppose we kind of just have to fill in the gaps for ourselves Just a, a layman's question if you don't mind Carl so she's frighteningly good here at the 400 metres hurdles uh, we've seen great athletes run different events uh, has she traditionally run 400 flat 200 200 hurdles is, is she very much just 400 hurdles and that's me? No, she does mix it up. Yeah, she runs. Her coach, Bobby Kersey, um, had her run 100 metre hurdles last year a bit to try and work on her flat speed. And she's also an amazing 400 metre runner, but she's never really gone into that. Um, but she's talked about now that she's kind of moved the world record into crazy territory at 400 metre hurdles. She's won the world and Olympic title. There's kind of nothing else for her to really do with 400 metre hurdles other than keep winning which is obviously hard enough given the current generation but so she's talked about maybe doing a double at the Paris Olympics the 400 meters and 400 meter hurdles double would very much be doable and I think you know the 400 meter flat title here was won by one of the greatest ever in Shawnee Melowebo it was 49.1 she ran for that but Sydney McLaughlin on the anchor leg with three rounds of the four hurdles already in her legs in the relay ran 47.90 which equates to a 48 low if she was doing it in an individual race with a, a static start so there's no doubt in me that she would have won the 400 meters here and if she had a more than a 45 minute gap between the two she could probably have doubled if she had like a, a night's rest in between she could have done the 400 meters and 400 meter hurdles double maybe she'll switch to just the 400 meters for Paris maybe she'll try and do the double but really whatever she decides to do it's hard to see any athlete stopping her either on the flat or over the hurdles Okay so that's Sydney McLaughlin uh, post regarded these championships and, and will very much be one of the stars at the Olympics in Paris. I wanted to ask you about the 100 metres hurdles. This really um, blew up in kind of interesting fashion initially. So uh, Nigerian runner Toby Amusen, she uh, was the winner and she in the semi-finals on the uh, Sunday surprised it seems herself and the world with the time that she ran. She ran 12.12 which knocked eight hundredths of a second off the uh, world record and eight hundredths of a second in the 100 metres hurdles is absolutely enormous to the point where almost akin to like uh, Hawkeye not working in Crow Park like uh, luminaries such as Michael Johnson was wondering if maybe the timing system was off or the wind gauge was wrong because uh, he amongst many others could not get his head around uh, Toby Amason of Nigeria uh, popping up and running this ridiculous time and I think quite a few other runners in the race ran PBs as well. 
yeah it was it was it, it was mind-boggling really you know to be in the stadium I mean she showed up on Saturday morning and it was a cold morning even Sarah Lavin the Irish athlete there was saying she had two layers on warming up it was very Irish weather and she ran an African record of 1240 Amazon in the heats and people were like whoa she's in shape and then the following evening it was a much hotter evening it was perfect sprinting conditions to be fair but she'd never broken 1240 before in her career and she came out and ran 1212 wind legal smashed the world record in the same final um so people again when people were looking at it going is something up here is something wrong with the starters going is something wrong with the timing equipment it's just it's a mind-boggling time now obviously Sydney McLaughlin's was also a mind-boggling time um and people I think you know whenever an athlete runs a world record unfortunately given the history of athletics you have to ask the question is there is there is this real mm-hmm. can we believe this yeah. and you know I think you balance up the answer to that question on a number of factors you know are, were, do they have the talent to do this do they have the ability to do this do they have any links to people you know I mean even with Sydney you know she's coached by Bobby Kersey who was the coach of Flojo back in the 80s so right. there is a, a link there that people might, could be suspicious of if right. they wanted to be um, and Amusan, but I suppose in in not to like defend anyone or try and impose any thoughts on anyone but I suppose in Sydney McLaughlin you have an athlete who had that level of talent that was so far ahead of her peers ever since the age of 14 mm. 13 you know since she came on the scene that always predicted that she would do something outrageous if she could keep her healthy which they did all the way through to senior level with Amusan, her story is a bit different I suppose to Sydney's in that she didn't really ever show that she had the ability to do a performance like this until she did it now obviously you could say that about a lot of athletes but she ran yeah she finished fourth in the olympic final last year she came through this year at 12 12 which was just absolutely mind-boggling time like i said and then the final we were wondering could she repeat it again and she ran 1206 now that was aided by a 2.5 meters per second following wind which means it won't stand the world as the world record because 2.0 is the limit um and yeah i suppose when someone runs a performance like that you kind of ask the question how and a lot of times in recent years that answer is probably related to technology so a lot of people were talking about her spikes she was wearing a distance running spike by adidas has the same technology as the kind of super shoes super responsive foam carbon plated spike and i did i kind of asked her a couple of questions at the press conference the first one was what's been behind the improvement um you know because obviously it's a it's a quantum leap forward this year yeah and what she said was um basically she's been working a lot more on her speed and especially in the women's hurdles speed is the key component because the hurdles are so much lower that it's, it's generally about who's the fastest over 100 meters so she said she'd been working on the 100 meters a lot more early in the season and then once she got the technical part right she knew she'd fly so that was her answer to that question and then I asked her about the shoes I just said like do you think the shoes or the spikes have made a difference and then, I don't know maybe this is just me but like if I was getting paid a five or six figure sum by a sponsor um, I'd be shouting from the rooftops that my sponsor's spikes are the best thing ever but I understand why athletes get defensive about it and don't want to attribute a performance jump to that and she did get quite offensive I could see she wasn't too happy about the question and she just said my, my abilities are not centered on the spikes um, and yeah she and I see why athletes do that you know you don't want to downplay your own role your own talent and your own hard work but to me you know given what Lance Brownman said that it's between seven and ten hundredths of a second over a hundred meters when you add that I suppose to Amusan's time and consider that the previous world record at 1220 was run a good few years ago before these super spikes came along maybe it does equate to something pretty similar to the world record of 2012-20 some perhaps not with that included maybe it's not that outrageous a performance 
Well, pretty outrageous. 25 years old, we should say. So this isn't an 18, 19 year old who's suddenly come to maturity and burst on the scene. You know, she's been on the go a while. It is interesting that she did get defensive over your question, because I was going to ask, is there a climate whereby somebody will just outright ask athletes, you know, can you assure everybody that there are no performance enhancing drugs involved here, given your pedigree as a junior and given what you've done over the first five, six years? And like... It's not an outlandish question to ask. I hadn't realised that Flojo's coach is still at the forefront of the sport. You know, like it, it, do, it does just hang in the air a little bit, for sure. So I presume that climate's not there, Carl, where somebody would specifically and, and blatantly ask an athlete that question in a press conference. It's not. And it, it, it kind of pains me in a sense because, you know, it's, it's, it's 20 plus years since David Walsh in, in our part of the world, I suppose, went on about these things in terms of fans with typewriters. Um, and what really disturbed me from a journalistic point of view was to see the reaction after the 200 metres when Jonathan Galt of Let's Run.com, he asked Sherika Jackson, who at the age of 28 had just made another quantum leap to win the 200 metres in 21.5 seconds, the second fastest time ever run or 21. 1.4 I think it was ever run um, at, at for the women's 200 so had entered Flojo territory and Jonathan asked what I thought was a very fair question he said there's a lot of question marks around Flojo's mark which they are I mean one of Flojo's training partners said she was using steroids and you know obviously the way she passed away at an early age is certainly alarming I suppose mm. um, and Jonathan asked Sherika Jackson you know what do you think of that record because basically you're second in line now and if that record shouldn't he didn't say this but the assumption was if that record is drug fueled you should now be the world record holder and Sherika Jackson said that's a rude question and said I, I've never asked questions about that and when the clip went up online Jonathan a very one of the best journalists in the sport was getting absolutely slammed primarily by Jamaicans for being negative and a lot of other people were saying this is not the time and the place to ask this and I was defending him um, online because as I said when is the time and the place? That's when it's relevant that night is to ask that question because that's the night that Sherika Jackson has moved into Flojo territory. Mm-hmm. Um, and it concerned me deeply, the, the response to what I thought was a very fair question. And it concerns me deeply still, the response to, I guess, among athletes, among fans, that when an, a journalist who's truly objective shows up and asks, us, asks a question like that, that people see it as being negative. I think I tweeted that during the week that, when athletes are only used to positivity, then objectivity like seems like negativity. Yeah. Um, and that's very much the case that you're seen as a hater, you know, in inverted commas, um, to ask a question. But I always think if an athlete is clean, and I'm thinking here again of Valerie Adams, um, I've asked her questions about doping over the years, and there's many other athletes in that camp. But when you do, when the subject comes up, it becomes very prevalent with an athlete like that, that they take the chance to sing from the rooftops about how clean they are and how they want more drug testing, they want longer bands and conversely sometimes in the sport not that you can ever tell too much from the way someone talks because obviously someone could be lying Mm. but it becomes very prevalent a lot of the time when the subject is raised which athletes do not want to be a part of that conversation and get aggrieved at the very the very question when given the sports history i think they should all welcome it and use the chance to to talk about it you would have thought so and it is worrying the way journalism is going. I mean, getting uh, a photo and a nice tweet gets the likes or a selfie with the athlete seems to be increasingly the order of the day. And you just kind of wonder what we're all doing increasingly. Tricky um, time for observers like yourself who 
are cognizant of pedigree and um, trying to weigh up what's possible and what's not possible, uh, given the advancement in track technology and shoes over the last five, six, seven years. I mean, almost any astonishing performance now can be greeted with, oh, it was the track and it was the shoes. And, uh, you know, that's uh, how do you differentiate between what's track shoes or something beyond? I think you can't, you know, I mean, you kind of get sometimes you get a bit depressed you know, in terms of like, if a world record goes, the first thing you think of, right, is it doped sometimes? And then you think, was it the shoes? What shoes are they wearing? And then was it something else? Was it the track? Was it wind? What was it, you know? Because every performance needs explanation and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, I think there are a lot of performances and there are world record breaking performances that I have watched and I would stand there with my hand in my heart and know that it was a clean athlete or think very mm, strongly sure. that it was a clean athlete. And that's happened in recent years and conversely there's times I've watched athletes break records and I've known in my heart gone to my head that is a doped up performance it doesn't make sense and I think for the general public a lot of times it's very hard to put that message across or to try and convince them of the difference between those two types of athletes and it's very easy to kind of write off the whole sport as a result of that which is something that we shouldn't do and I I don't want to be geographically favouring people but like one of the athletes I very much believe in is Jake Whiteman in the 1500 metres and I think that was one of the best stories of the week um, you know in terms of his progression it's all believable the way he talks everything about him is a believable athlete and he's the world 1500 meter champion and I think stories like that always kind of I guess re-establish for me that you know yes there is an element of the sport that might be cheating and yes there is this tech thing creeping in that you kind of makes it sometimes hard to contextualize but I think the lesson for me is almost just forget about the clock and in that 1500 meter final during the week it was Inga Brixen against Whiteman it was a huge upset it was a brilliant personal story given his dad was commentating in the stadium and his mum was in floods of tears and unable to even look at it she had her head <laughs> facing the ground for the last few hundred metres and stuff like that stories like that and athletes like that kind of convinced me that there's there's still a whole lot of great things about this sport and a whole lot to believe in yeah for sure listen we are uh, out of time we are meant to talk to you about the uh, Irish contingent we'll do that again Carl I'm sure in due course thanks so much and uh, enjoy the stay out in Oregon Cheers, Joe. Cheers. Carl Denny there on the World Athletics Championships, which are uh, just done, came to a close on Sunday.